Hi, Proof fans. It's Bridget here. And today I'm really excited to share a special preview episode of a new podcast called Detours from our friends at GBH. Anyone a fan of GBH's Antiques Roadshow? Well, Detours is a podcast about what happens to all of that stuff on America's favorite antiques TV show after the cameras leave town. Join host Adam Monahan, a longtime producer for GBH's Antiques Roadshow, on a journey of discovery with stories of record-breaking sales, fakes, and, yep, even federal crimes. This first episode that you're about to hear is a mystery about an American flag from the storied PT-109. That was JFK's famous patrol torpedo boat in World War II. Now, the flag from the boat was brought to a roadshow event, but it never made it onto the TV show. Why not? Let's listen. From Detours, the hardest fact I ever checked. If you've ever watched WGBH's Antiques Roadshow on PBS, the show with all the old junk that turns out to be worth a lot of money. At least $15,000. The one with the excited guests like this. I'm going to (laughs) faint. Did you hear that, Betty? I know I heard it. I heard it. You'll see a whole bunch of stuff and learn some things to make you dangerous on any given trivia night. What you probably don't know is that each of the facts uttered about each of those objects is checked by someone on staff, oftentimes me. I'm Adam Monahan, a producer on the show for many years now, and this is the story of the hardest fact I ever checked. We can even fold most of that underneath. It started three years ago in New Orleans when a young man named Luke Kelly came on the show. Where's the best place for my hands and just wherever I would like? At your side, wherever you're comfortable. And he brought something remarkable with him. Well, news like that travels fast. My boss, Marsha, was there, too. She's the executive producer of the show. Something like that doesn't walk in every day. So tell me about what you brought to Antiques Roadshow today. The appraisal starts out like it always does. Um, my great-grandfather was in World War II, and he was on the patrol torpedo boat PT-109 um, with President Kennedy. And I brought the flag that Kennedy had given him from the boat. And what was your initial reaction? Holy moly! We have a, we have a flag that was on the PT-109? Have you ever had this item appraised? Never. It's always been in the family and just kind of been hanging around. Everyone on the set who knows what's going on understands the significance of the find. This has been called one of the most famous small boat actions in American naval history. This is bigger than our show. This is an historical moment if it turns out that the flag is right. In fact, the incident, though it was a disaster, Mm -hmm. that essentially launched his political career Mm -hmm. and changed the direction of the nation. So the place was sizzling in a room with thousands of people, sizzling. Then our appraiser, Jeff, gets to the numbers. This was a difficult thing for us to price because there are so many moving parts to this story. He runs through some different scenarios for how much the flag might be worth. Let's say, just for instance, that Lieutenant Like if it was actually gifted by Kennedy. Grandfather, a PT boat flag. And everything he's looking for, the information, it's lining up. It's lining up in a way that is really exciting. have a value of three to $5,000. Goodness. And finally, Jeff gets to the biggest number. The next step is this is the flag that was flown by PT-109 on the night of this famous encounter. 
that's a whole different animal. He is jumping out of his skin. A conservative auction estimate for this item would be between $400,000 and $600,000. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Already, that would be one of the most valuable items we've ever had on the show. So I will say, I started to get my stomach started to go, ooh, I, I hope it's right, ooh, I hope it's right. At a good sale, I think that number could easily eclipse a million dollars. Wow. OMG. Man, that's unbelievable, I can't, wow. This is a big deal for Rocha. But none of this was ever shown on TV. So I took a vote of people in the office as to whether or not we should have aired this flag. And, and uh, the we should have aired it won. So wow. whose vote ultimately matters in all this? Mine and no one else's. <laughs> it's good to be me. Um, <laughs> in fairness, the vote was me and one other person. Ultimately, we are not on solid ground there. We haven't done, this is the kind of thing that the amount of research time that we have at Roadshow isn't adequate to figure out, is this true? So we're left with a million dollar question. A question that deserves its own podcast. This one. My name is Adam Onahan, and this is Detours. In every episode, we'll go deep into the story of a single object and tell you what we learned after the cameras left town. Today on the show, the PT-109 flag. right onto Morrissey Boulevard. So now I'm just going around the rotary. The first step is just to figure out what the big deal is with this flag. So I headed to the JFK Library and Museum. There's actually one item in particular they have on display, which I'm thinking could help us understand our flag. Can you show us around? Sure. Uh, we're going to go this way. My guide is Janice Hodson. You're, so your title is, so you're an archivist? Uh, I'm the supervisory museum curator. Supervisor, okay. Yeah. And she takes me to an yeah. exhibit about JFK's young life, before he was president. So here we have the, the dog tag. Okay. He joined the Navy in 1941, just a few months before the U.S. entered World War II. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by... A date which will live in infamy. When um, you know, Kennedy was in training, a request was put out for volunteers to command PT boats. That stands for patrol torpedo boats. They were basically 80-foot-long World War II speedboats. They would engage enemy warships, transports, tankers. The Japanese actually nicknamed them devil boats. It was a way to rise to command of a ship very rapidly because of the risk involved. The PT boats move out to sea. 
PTs continue to harass the enemy on Borneo. Volunteers were basically told, if your intention is to go back home and marry and have kids after the war, then don't volunteer for this. Oh, so here's him on uh, the PT-109. And... Uh, Now, to truly appreciate the potential value of our flag, you have to understand just how important this boat was for the entire mythology of JFK. The PT-109 saga became the subject of articles, books, and most famously, a major motion picture released two years into the Kennedy presidency in 1963. The film tells an epic tale of survival. It was late. I think it was after midnight. In August of 1943, Kennedy's boat is rammed by a Japanese destroyer. In the movie, you can actually see the flag for just a second as the PT-109 is split in two. Then the whole wreckage bursts into flames because the boat was fully loaded with fuel. It was a gasoline fire. McMahon was burned over 70% of his body. Now, Patrick McMahon is key in all this. He's the great-grandfather of Luke, the young man who brought us the flag. There was no way he could swim himself. Third-degree burns on both his arms. Shoulder and his face aren't much better. McMahon initially told Kennedy, don't bother, I'm going to die. Just go on without me. And Kennedy wouldn't. Lenny, give me that map. Kennedy decided he'd tow him in himself. Come on, let's go. The granite-jawed actor Cliff Robertson, who Kennedy personally selected to play himself as a young Navy captain, leaps into the water. Then he takes a strap from McMahon's life jacket, clenches it in his teeth, and starts pulling him. They swam for something like four to five hours. Four miles, a long way. With Kennedy pulling McMahon, and they found this small island Once they got there, of course, Kennedy had to figure out a way to get them rescued. He was swimming back and forth between other islands alone, hoping to run into a PT boat or something uh, to get them rescued. And they ultimately did that with the coconut. Um, What is is this coconut? (laughs) (laughs) It's a piece of a coconut. Kennedy eventually encountered two natives who were actually scouts for an Australian commander. He, he carved a message, which is, you know, it's hard to read on the coconut, but you can, you can see. Noro first, commander. Yep. Native nose p- position. position. Yep. 11 alive. 11 alive. Need, Need small, small boat, boat. Kennedy. And he saved that coconut piece, and it was always on his desk in the Oval Office throughout his presidency. Now, sir, have you begun uh, actively campaigning? Yes, I've been working for a long time. Keep in mind, this event launched JFK into the national spotlight. It's a big jump from Congress to the Senate. I'm only one of four... Sure, he came from a well-known family, but most Americans wouldn't have known who John F. Kennedy was before the PT-109 incident. It was an article in The New Yorker. I mean, this, this was big headlines for, for Kennedy. for this evening was the Honorable John F. Kennedy. Janice takes us downstairs to show us one more item in their collection. This Actually, this exhibit highlights 
100 objects that are key to the story of Kennedy. There's a letter citation. For his heroic conduct as the commanding officer, he did receive a Purple Heart. A logbook from the boat. People assume logbooks are exciting reading. They're not. (laughs) And then there's a flag. And it's right there. That's awesome. This is the real reason we're here. So tell us about your flag. How how do you guys have a flag from the PT-109? This flag came uh, to the museum in 1968. So yeah, turns out the library has a PT-109 flag too. This flag was removed from the boat in July of 1943 when it went in for repairs. It was in, in the next month in August that, you know, the PT-109 gets rammed and sinks. So you're saying that this flag came off. You can actually see this one's torn apart, yeah. like weathered, because these boats went very fast and the wind would whip through them and tear at them. The one that we, ha- the one that we have, uh, like I actually have a picture of it. I'll, I'll show it to you. So I pull out a picture of our flag, which according to the owner's story was rescued from the sinking boat and then gifted by Kennedy to his crewman, Patrick McMahon, while he was recovering in the hospital. So, see how white it is? Despite what looks like moth or insect damage, it basically looks new. But Mm -hmm. this one would have only been on the boat for a couple weeks, probably, because it was August that the incident happened. Let's look at this, our signage. August (laughs) 1st through 2nd, and then it was like a week before they they were found. Yes. This is very good news. It explains why there could be two flags from the same boat and why they are in such different condition. Ours, the, the wear... So we get to comparing the two flags. Yeah. Well, we don't have the, the exact dimensions, but... They look you know, about they, the same size, which is good. You know, visually, you know, you have the two grommets. Um, the library's yeah. flag does have some official-looking numbers printed on the side. Letter flag. That ours does not have. Something Indiana. Plus, the stitching is a little different. Ours has, like, double stitching, which is is stronger. So, with all this in mind, I asked for Janice's take on our flag. I would be really skeptical that in the midst of everything that was going on, somebody would have said, let's grab the flag. Yeah. Well, that's... Well, darn it. I'm feeling a little deflated after my visit to the JFK library, so I call our appraiser Jeff to talk about the really cool coconut I just saw. Wait, not that. I called to talk about our PT-109 flag, which is kind of starting to feel like it's not the flag from the PT-109. Whatever, I digress. Thank you for calling Advance Guard Militaria. Please hold while your call is transferred. Remember that Jeff is the original appraiser who looked at this flag. He's an expert on military history. So now that I've got some more information, I'm hoping he can help solve the mystery. Jeff Schrader. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I am well. And you, sir? Good. Can you put us on hold? Can we we listen to the music again? (laughs) You know what? I can make that happen. I start by taking them back to where it all began. That day in New Orleans. Of course, it's been a day or two. To his first reaction when this young man claims to have had the flag from the PT-109. Candidly, my reaction was, sure it is. (laughs) Of course it is. And then how that changed. His great-grandfather was, in fact, uh, machinist mate first Patrick McMahon. And then I started to uh, get the goosebumps because this, it, it was, at that point, plausible. 
in taking your pictures and looking at it, is it recognizable that it's immediately that it's a PT boat flag? Or is like, is there a way to know that right away? Yes. Okay. Navy flags in World War II, anyway, uh, were graded by size. The PT boats used either a number 11 or a number 12, which are the smallest two sizes. That confirms what we saw at the museum. So I asked Jeff about those official Navy markings on the side of the flag. Yeah, that's that's the next thing that you've got to look at. So uh, the fact that it wasn't marked doesn't preclude it from being a, uh, a Navy-used flag, but it doesn't help it. Okay, so the so you see it, to, to the best of your knowledge, it is a PT flag. Uh, any other research that you did, anything to try to suss out if it could possibly be from the PT-109? Well, there were a list of questions that I had. Is it possible that this, that the flag that was on the 109 even survived the impact? Uh, And, of course, the answer to that, we know, is yes. The flag was most likely flying at the middle of the boat, on the radar tower, or in the middle of the back of the boat, the stern, bonus points for using nautical terms, which did, in fact, stay afloat after the impact. Uh, The next one was, in the chaos of what happened, would there have been any time to remove that flag? And, uh, of course, then the answer to that is yes, also. From accounts, we know that the crew spent several hours around the wreckage, searching for survivors and gathering supplies. Okay, next question. Would removing the flag from a vessel that was going to, to sink, would that have been a priority by U.S. naval tradition? Here, Jeff had to consult some Navy veterans who all said no. You're worried about getting your people to safety, and you're not going to worry about a flag. On the other hand... Would there be any logical reason to take that flag? As it turns out, yes. Uh, Their hope was to be rescued. They wanted to be recognized, but recognized by the right people and not shot at by their own folks. And the flag would have been very useful in that regard. So I'm hearing a number of reasons why it could be still, Jeff. At this point, you you can neither prove nor disprove it. Yeah. Um, but yet we're not we're not done. Another really important piece of evidence that we've got to look at is the written account from the time. What did the survivors of the 109 have to say? And in that report, it is actually very very specific of what they got away from the boat with. They took several guns. There are 645s. Probably a good idea in hostile territory. A 138 revolver. A flashlight. A large knife. A flag. And there's absolutely no mention of the flag. Okay, no flag. However... <laughs> and this, there were a lot of twists and turns with this. Jeff dug into some recent research on the incident. I really enjoyed uh, William Doyle's book on the topic. PT-109, an epic of war, survival, and the destiny of John F. Kennedy. It came out just a few years ago in 2015. He has found more information that, frankly, kind of contradicts some of the stuff that was in the initial report. One of which is, in that extensive inventory, there's absolutely no mention of a Thompson submachine gun. But we know from uh, William Doyle's research that radioman John McGuire at least tried to carry a Thompson uh, on that uh, swim and lost it about halfway through. So you're thinking that them failing to mention that they had this giant gun on the report. I could see it 
as an oversight that you don't mention that you've grabbed the flag from the PT-109. Right. They may not have put the same historical emphasis on it then that we would today. But uh, Lieutenant Kennedy wanted that piece of, um, I think it was a, a coconut husk, yeah. uh, where he'd written the rescue message. He wanted that back. You know, he saw he saw the value in that. So all of these little um, windows leave open the possibility that this is what our guest wants it to be. Adam, the will to believe is a very, very powerful thing. Where I run into trouble is you, you've got to thread too many needles, to my mind, to get there. But... Somehow there always seems to be another but. If there is the possibility that this was the 109 flag at the time that it was struck, I I think that million-dollar figure is laughably conservative. I, I think you're looking at something that would be at that national treasure level. Whoa. So any idea what a, uh, a carved coconut shell by JFK would be worth? Good Lord, yeah. Um, I could guess. <laughs> At this point, I'm, I'm running out of ideas. So we start working the phones. Hello? I talked to Sharon Whitley, a reporter who was one of the last people to interview McMahon in his home a few years before he died. I said, would you please tell me your story? just to see if she recalled the flag. I just don't remember seeing a flag. It could have been there. I just don't remember that. Then I try the author of that book Jeff mentioned. Hello, this is Bill Doyle here. But no luck. I've never heard an account of Kennedy giving McMahon a flag. I'm starting to wonder if my boss Marshall was right after all. How could something so significant have been ignored for decades? I mean, this incident has been studied to death, and there's just no mention of this flag. And in any historical accounting of it, or any interviews or anything. So I'm forced to expand my search. Hello? Okay, I call my mom. Okay. Okay, love you. Wait, no, don't leave yet. I still have to, I still have to ask you a question about... Who offers this advice? You know, if it, if it says made in China, <laughs> I wouldn't think it was from the boat. <laughs> now we're getting desperate. Thanks for calling California Psychics. As a new customer, you can speak to a psychic at a special introductory rate. Hopefully, work doesn't ask about that bill. But then, a breakthrough. Hi, is this Aaron? This is Aaron. After the break. Hi, Aaron. This is Adam Monahan from Antiques Roadshow. How are you? I am well, thank you. Aaron Beeler is a chemistry professor at Boston University, and I call him because I have a theory I want to try out. The boat itself, uh, it was designed to carry a ton of fuel. Then, when it gets rammed, fuel went everywhere. It was burning on the water. And we also know that fuel at the time had lead in it. Flag potentially could have had a bunch of lead fuel on it. So here's the theory. If by some miracle this really is the flag from the PT-109, would we expect to see some trace elements of lead in its fabric nearly eight decades later? I, I think if it were sitting and it soaked in the gasoline with the lead and then it was brought out and it has been sitting around since, um, it would be a reasonable expectation that you could see significant 
uh, elevated levels of lead. Bingo. Uh, what, like, how, how could it be tested? Like, what do you do? Uh, when people are looking for metals um, on a small level, you know, parts per million, parts per billion level. He tells uh, us about a technique called ICP mass spectroscopy. ICP mass spectroscopy. Mass spectroscopy. It's the same thing doctors use to test people for lead poisoning. Uh, I think that would work here. Sounds promising. And amazingly... I can certainly help facilitate the test being done. Great. Given that the difference is between $200 and a million, I'm hoping that our guest is uh, willing to undertake the test. (laughs) (laughs) That would would seem reasonable. We'll be in touch, hopefully. All right. So I get in touch with Luke. Hello, my name is Luke Kelly. The owner of the flag, and ask him to come into the studio. Where are you coming from? Just from Cambridge. Oh, okay. Yeah, Harvard Square. Oh, that's great. Turns out he went to Harvard, just like JFK did. I just graduated in May, yeah. What'd you get your degree in? History. His middle name is even Kennedy. So what is your earliest memory of the flag in your family? Ooh, I don't know. My grandfather lived down on the beach in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and going to his house, he had this side room off where he had his TV, and he would watch baseball and football, and he had all of his war medals, and everything from our family was kind of in that room, and it was hanging there. And so ever since I was a kid, going in there, bothering and pestering my grandfather, I would see it there. He and his grandfather used to actually watch the movie PT-109, the one from the 60s. And in that, there's a part where my grandfather would always like stop it, and you could the character that was playing Pappy, my great grandfather, would mention that he had a stepson in it, which is referencing to my grandfather, and he would always stop and like, "See, that's me right there." And hearing all this makes me kind of nervous for what I have to tell him next. When this was brought back to the office, like everyone was crazy excited about it. Like I'm obviously here. It is years later. I'm still talking about <laughs> about this flag, but it probably is going to be almost impossible to prove it's the flag from the PT-109. Right. Um, It's more likely just a PT boat flag uh, that's in the family's history. It's come to be the flag from the PT-109. Right. And I understand that completely. I mean, I understand how family lore, you know, makes things into things they aren't. And, you know, I didn't know my great grandfather. I didn't hear it from him personally. And, you know, one story is told to another person, told to another person. It's kind of like a game of telephone in a way. But, you know, as time goes by, it's harder to get pieces of information. Okay, here we go. So with all that said, there is a possible chemical test, a chemical analysis test, and we would want to do it on your flag if you would allow Sure, I'd be totally interested. All right, great. So where is the flag now? So Luke brings the flag to Aaron's lap to extract a sample. Aaron has a student named Doug who is helping out. Aaron? I'm Doug. Nice, nice to meet you. you. Luke. They spread the flag out on a metal lab table. It out on. It's all clean. It doesn't look clean, but it is clean. And Doug starts slicing <laughs> off loose threads with a razor blade. Scissors really would have been a better choice here. There we are. All right. While he's working, we get not one, but two pieces of good news for our flag. If you'll 
capacity of these PT boats, about 3,000 gallons. First off, Aaron and Doug did a little research into the leaded fuel itself. So the total mass would be about almost six kilograms of lead that would be in that water. So that's a very, that's a lot of so lead. this would be lead in the water that the flag was then dragged through. Or... And even better, this lead that was used in fuel was not water soluble. So highly, highly insoluble in water. Right, so if, if this was soaked in the fuel, it, it should have kept it in principle. Great. The second piece of good news comes from Luke. I think it says U-S-E-N-S, which would be ensign, and then size 12. When he took the flag out of its frame, he found it had official naval markings on the back, just like the flag from the JFK Library. So this is the first time I've seen it, too. He's never seen these marks before. No, never, never. It's always been in the frame as I've seen it. So as you can imagine, we're in good spirits. I wish I knew a good chemistry joke, but all the good ones are gone. Okay, maybe a bit too good. Oh, come on, that was sodium funny. As we send the samples off for analysis. That's, that's about it. And then we wait. Um, all right. How are you? I'm good, Adam. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm again. excited. This is my boss, Marsha, again. All right. Remember, it was her decision not to air the original appraisal that sent me on this whole quest. I'm worried. Could this be right? Now I'm back with an answer. And I can't wait to find out because I truly don't know people. I truly don't know. Does the flag contain any lead whatsoever? Okay, so we sent away the flag to be tested. And here, I'll give you the what I received back. And just so you all know, because I just need you to know, he has like a stack of test papers in front of him. Because I can see him, and you can't. So <laughs> so the, there's a bunch of numbers here, Marsh. And so when, when this came in, I spoke with our, our chemist. This is Aaron. Who analyzed all these? Yeah, so when you're looking at this chart, uh, vial one and two. Vial one fibers, and vial two and uh, vial three, those are all from our flag. Okay. All right? Yeah. So those show that our flag does have lead in it. There was a significant amount of lead in the Vial number five and six show what a just a t shirt has in it. That kind of gives you an idea of what the background is. So ours has had, a lot more lead. An abnormally elevated amount of lead in this flag. It has abnormally elevated levels of lead. Wow. That, I, I mean, I, I, I feel very confident saying that. So last week, while you were out of the office at the Emmys... Which we didn't win again. Which we didn't win. I got these results. It has an abnormally elevated amount of lead in the flag. Whoa. <laughs> and I went around the office freaking out. And for two days, I was walking on air. Put that baby in the show. Put it back in. He does. He does. And I called our guest. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing there? Mighty fine. Mighty fine. But the news I give Luke is a little different. After that first test, I felt like we really needed to do a better control test to make sure the lead we were seeing was really from the fuel of the PT-109. Just because you can't see us, I want you to know my mouth is hanging open. So then what we did is the lab ran a test on another World War II-era flag. <laughs> Uh-oh. The, the control test also came back with not just lead, a little more elevated levels of lead than our flag. Oh, my gosh. So I had to deliver the news to Luke. 
right. that he has a World War II era PT boat flag that cannot be tied directly to the PT-109. How did he react to that? Well, he actually no, it's okay. took it really well. No, it's not, it's not necessarily bad news or anything like that. It's just news. Because what it means to him is it's his great-grandfather's flag. That documents a part of his life that, you know, I wouldn't know about otherwise. And in the end, the only reason Luke's alive is because this happened. Yeah. Right, right. It's, it's really amazing how it all went down. So the flag to him represents something different than it does to me. It's one of the few items that I own that my great-grandfather owned as well. It still embodies that in a physical object. Um, that doesn't change, you know, at all for me. All right, well, thanks very much, Luke. I'll talk to you later. All right, thank you. Have a good one. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. I had the worst weekend thinking about this goddamn flag. (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) Like, I mean, just, have you ever thought that they might call your name at the Emmys? I have. I used to plan and have a written speech in my purse. Yeah. Now I don't even think about what I'm going to (laughs) say. When I got the first test back, I felt like they were going to call my name. And as soon as I got the second test... It's like they called American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, Yeah. you did not get called. In the end, like, I've seen the footage. I've seen the raw footage, obviously, more recent than you. Mm -hmm. And we were right to not air it. Yeah. Well, thanks. I'm glad. And as it turns out now, looking at these test results, I feel really good about that decision. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord, thank you so. (laughs) It feels good to be right. It's good to be right. So we want to hear from you. Do you think this flag is from the PT-109? Should we have aired that original appraisal on TV? If you're curious, go give it a watch and let us know. It's up on our website now at wgbh.org forward slash detours. If you want to hear future episodes of Detours, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you retrieve your podcasts from. Coming up in this season, we've got a photo of Edgar Allan Poe, the FBI called us about, an investigation into a possibly forged Mayan artifact, and one woman's quest to reclaim family treasures stolen by the Nazis. But first up, on our next episode, we'll be coming to you all the way from Sacramento, California, with a little piece of cinema history. And it's for sale. Detours is a production of WGBH in Boston and PRX. Our producer and sound designer is Ian Koss. Our assistant producer for this episode was Elena Schwartz, along with Isabel Hibbard. Nina Porzuki is the managing producer of podcasts at WGBH, and Marsha Bemko is Detour's executive producer. I'm your host and senior producer, Adam Monahan. Special thanks to Frederick Strathman of NMS Labs, Dr. Nader Rafai of Boston Children's Hospital, and Dr. Paul Ridker of Brigham and Women's Hospital for their help with the flag testing. Our theme music is Once in a Century Storm by Will Daly from the album National Throat. My thanks to Will, and my thanks to you all. Have a good one. Well, I know Love is not a walk in the park It's a once in a century storm 
If you like this episode of Detours, don't forget to subscribe. You can find Detours on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Detours. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with a new episode of Proof very soon.